Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome Nicholas Pino. I put EMS in the same bucket as environmental toxins of all kind. Should you be exposed to more pesticides? Well, likely not. You know, there's glyphosate in every every freaking water stream and and in the air yeah it's everywhere so can you say well i'm gonna avoid all glyphosate good luck i mean even if you're in the middle of nowhere in a tent in in uh greenland or the antarctica you'll probably get exposed now to some environmental toxins just because of how everything is related and globally when it comes to uh, air pollution and and water pollution We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more from me over at benazadi.com. Super excited for today's episode to talk about EMFs electromagnetic fields. What are they? What are they doing to you? Can we avoid them? How to protect ourselves? This is going to be a deep dive with the perfect person to discuss this, Nicholas Pinot. He is the author of the Non-Tinfoil Guide to EMFs, and we dive into his story, why Nick started to research EMFs after his mom was diagnosed with cancer back in 2016. How much EMF exposure has increased since the 1950s? I asked him that question, and his answer is going to blow your mind, as it did to me. We also get into blue light blocking glasses. Do they actually help? Which ones do you wear during the day versus the nighttime? Should you be worried about EMF exposures, especially if you are dealing with chronic inflammation, headaches, and other symptoms? Could it be related to EMF exposures? What about your Apple AirPods? Uh-oh, I recently did a video about this on my TikTok that got over 2 million views, two separate videos that achieved over 2 million views on why Apple AirPods are actually causing issues in your body. And I talk about this with Nick today. So wait to get your mind blown. Hopefully you're not listening to this episode on Apple AirPods. And if you are, hey, sorry to give you the bad news, but you'll hear about that soon. We also talk about other wireless headsets, Teslas. I asked him about Teslas. Has he ever checked that? Are they safe? We talk about the electromagnetic field exposure related to sleep quality. And then how do you even test? He shared two ways to test. It's not very expensive. There are two different meters. One is cheaper than the other. I actually bought one right after the episode. And you could actually walk around your house and test where you have high levels of EMF and you could get to the cause of why there is high levels of EMF there. So you are going to love 
this episode. You're going to want to share this with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers, and then also you're going to want to get his book. He also has an awesome course coming up called the EMF Hazard Summit, which we will drop a link for down below in the notes. And then he also has a course called the Electro Pollution Fix. Uh, check all that out after you finish listening to this episode. Before I bring him on, I do want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is from SR Rainy CW. Five star review titled, Thank You for Your Time and Knowledge. Thank you for giving out so much to your listeners. One of the best podcasts on keto flexing. As a woman in postmenopause, I have finally found the answers I've needed for my best health and wellness at my age. That is so awesome. I'm grateful you're listening and you got the information to apply to you and how to do keto flexing as a postmenopausal woman. We're dedicated to getting this information out there and I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you leaving the rating and review because that rating and review makes a huge, huge difference for the podcast to grow and change more lives. So please leave that rating and review if you haven't done so already. I also have a special announcement. Earlier this year, in May 2021, I hosted a seven-day keto challenge. It was called a Keto Kickstart Challenge. For seven days, we dove deep into keto fasting, keto flexing, all things inflammation and ancient healing strategies. It was a super success. Thousands of you signed up for it. And we decided, me and the Keto Camp team, to do this challenge again. So we have an upcoming brand new seven-day Keto Kickstart Challenge starting on September 7th, and it's going to run until September 14th. We are going to be giving away thousands of dollars worth in supplements and products. I'm giving away a year subscription to my Keto Camp Academy membership, which is about $2,000 just for joining this seven-day Keto Challenge. A couple of speakers that are officially Booked for this seven-day challenge is Dr. Mindy Peltz and Dr. Ben Bickman, and we have some other special guests as well, including myself. How it works is for seven days, I'm going to be teaching a live stream masterclass on a specific topic, or I'm going to be interviewing a guest. We're going to give you homework assignments, action steps to take, and we're going to hold each other accountable for seven days. Who's this for? It's perfect for somebody who's new to keto or you have been doing keto and fell off the bandwagon and have to get back on, or if you've been doing keto for several years and want to take your study and your results to another level, you're going to learn so much. The best part about this, the seven-day keto kickstart challenge is completely free, 100% free. If you head to www.ketocampchallenge.com, you could sign up for free today. Remember, camp is spelled with a K, www.ketocampchallenge.com. Learn about it, get signed up, share it with all your friends, and I cannot wait to see you on September 7th. I will also drop a link for that in the podcast notes, so you could just click that and get signed up. There's also going to be options if you want to upgrade your membership. Did you know there's actually beverages that can supercharge your fasting results? My favorite, which is a keto powerhouse, is apple cider vinegar. There's a ton of research showing apple cider vinegar 
has been beneficial for boosting your metabolism, suppressing appetite, reducing fat storage. That's because apple cider vinegar contains acetic acid, which is a short-chain fatty acid that's been shown to promote weight loss in those ways. Also, apple cider vinegar is one of the best ways to balance your blood sugars. A study showed apple cider vinegar improved insulin sensitivity after high-carb meals up to 34%. We also know that apple cider vinegar stimulates digestion, acts as a bile stimulant to help break down the fat you're eating on keto. Another research study showed apple cider vinegar protects against mineral depletion. If you're like me, you probably don't like the taste of apple cider vinegar. I think it tastes disgusting. That's why my go-to is Paleo Valley's apple cider vinegar complex. This is an organic blend of apple cider vinegar and four more gut and health supportive superfoods. I take this before my meals, I take it before coffee, and this enhances my fast and my blood sugar regulation. You'll find it contains organic apple cider vinegar, organic turmeric, organic ginger, organic Ceylon cinnamon, and organic lemon. Since you are a listener of the Keto Camp podcast, we worked out an exclusive discount code for you to get the apple cider vinegar complex capsules and all of the products over at Paleo Valley. All you need to do is head to paleovalley.com and use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. By the way, they got delicious beef sticks and an awesome organ meat complex. Go check them out paleovalley.com. That is KETOCAMP15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below in the show notes. Okay, let's talk all about EMFs with the EMF guy, Nick Pinot. Nick Pinot is the number one best-selling author of the non-tinfoil guide to EMFs, and he's an advocate for safe technologies. Through his unconventional approach, blending humor, science, and common sense, he's become a leading voice on the topic of electromagnetic pollution and how it affects our health. He's also launched the Electro Smog RX online professional level EMF course in collaboration with Dr. Klinhart with the goal of educating health professionals worldwide on how to address EMF-related symptoms and minimize their patients' EMF exposure. You can learn more about him in the podcast notes down below. Let's welcome him to the show. Nicholas Pinot, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Hey, nailed it on the name. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I did my research. I, I used to always say Pinot, 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 and then I realized, oh, that's not how you pronounce it. It's Pinot, like like the wine. So I'm glad I got exactly. it right. Exactly. Actually, sounds very accurate. Uh, most people <laughs> get it wrong. That's why. <laughs> you I it. had it wrong, and then uh, I realized I was saying it wrong. So thanks for joining me. I uh, I first came across your work several years ago. You started making some some sound waves in the EMF space, but then I saw you speak at uh, my mentor, Dr. Pompa's conference a few years ago in Las Vegas, you did an amazing job. And ever since then, I've been kind of glued to what you're up to. And you have an incredible book, which is the non-tinfoil guide to EMFs, how to fix our stupid use of technology. Awesome name, by the way. I want to know why you decided to get into this space of EMF research. Geez, that's a, sometimes I still ask myself that after several years uh, writing about nutrition mainly that's 2000 starting 2009 in French in reality just out of uni I started writing a blog on nutrition and what interests me is always the angle where most people are misinformed about what the heck they should eat and of course the entire podcast is about kind of keto and the fact <laughs> you need carbs or 
you need to eat every six hours, all, all these things that we keep hearing, the food pyramid. And when I realized for myself that these things were not accurate, for example, you can say trans fat free, and there can still be a few grams of trans fat in there, and it's sufficient to increase your risk of heart attack. And that just pisses me off, that kind of nonsense where consumers are buying something and it's not the thing that it's supposed to be, or it exposes them to environmental or other risks that are completely uh, needless. And that plus the fact that I'm seeing, um, starting my research in 2009, that uh, cancer is on the rise, Alzheimer's is on the rise, our population is aging, especially here in Quebec, we're among the the oldest populations and, and it's not getting better, it's getting worse with the baby boomers kind of aging and not gracefully at all. So I just had this pull to start talking about things that I consider missing things in health. And um, in 2016, my mom was diagnosed with early stage three cancer, breast cancer and a, a few uh, metastases, uh, I think was underarm and ganglion somewhere. And anyway, she recovered very quickly, but it really drove me to write a cancer book. So that was my 2016 years kind of gathering research for that. And in the factors that I found could contribute to cancer, I found cell phone radiation. And it was a not 100% a new idea for me, to be honest, but I hadn't changed my cell phone habits. I wasn't really looking at where my uh, Wi-Fi location is in, in my home or any of these things, kind of not really looking at cell phone towers. So clearly, I did not really understand the risks at all. And reading a few books on the topic really opened my eyes. And I, that's when I realized, my God, yeah, cancer is, is not really my thing. But that thing with cell phones, it's maddening that it's it's increasing so fast like everyone is is using now more and more wireless technology it's not just a phone most people own one or two phones one for the job one for their personal use then they have cordless phones at home they have a baby monitor they have the sensors and then there's multiple towers so outside exposures as well and i started thinking about this and saying my god if if the emf guidelines like the the safety regulations that are supposed to be protective or not, we're in deep, deep, deep trouble because it's one of the environmental exposures that is increasing the fastest. It's increasing faster than any use of glyphosate or environmental toxins on your food or in the air or in the water. I could argue that it's the fastest growing. And when when I started studying that in, in 2000. 15 and 16, already we were exposed uh, at levels of EMFs in the one gigahertz frequency range. That's equivalent to cell phone radiation range. That is a quintillion times higher than ancestral levels. So being someone kind of focused on the paleo side of things, eating paleo, reading about paleo, uh, attending online conferences and summits around paleo diet. It was really my t following Chris Kresser and uh, Mark's Daily Apple, you know, the, these kind of very uh, early influencers in the, of the paleo movement. I was like, well, my God, if something is not paleo, it's, it's EMF and no one is seeing this. And when no one is seeing something and I am, I just go crazy. So I started researching about EMS and I told myself, okay, this is so complicated. You you have like m multiple types of EMS. You have the frequencies. No one really understands it. And it took me a good year just to gather the research and to start understanding the different types of fields and how to mitigate them and the dangers and 
how is it that science, science, uh, some scientists say there's no effect, the FCC in the States, the Federal Communication Commission says there's no effect, but others say there's a huge effect, and some say there's a small effect. So I'm like, okay, I'm very confused here. So where's the scientific truth? How is it that we're being exposed to this agent at, at levels that are unprecedented and a lot of the mainstream most the biggest idea out there is that this stuff is ubiquitous but uh who cares because it doesn't do anything to your health so it led me to the non-tinfoil guide to ems and that was an idea a shared uh project to be honest uh, me and my wife who's a, a business coach for uh online entrepreneurs now Back in the days, she was in the back end of the business, and she said, Nick, you, you got to create something simpler, like a guide or something extremely simple, because you're telling me all these stories about EMS, and to be honest, I don't get anything you're saying, because it's too technical, it's very geeky, and we started going through every, every possible chapter and kind of started uh, mapping out this entire thing. We were in Eastern uh, Europe in 2016 when we done that, I think, um, maybe in Bucharest, but long story short is it led to that guide and when i showed the guide to a few people who had been studying ems for a while they said oh my god this is actually a great summary of the entire like the non-scientific version in reality or one commenter on on amazon a three-star review unfortunately said this is the non-academic guide to ems and i agree you know i wanted this to be for lay people to understand where we've come from how is it that the rules are so permissive? What are the dangers? What are the types of fields? And what's the situation? And where do we go from there? So I wanted to create something that you can probably read in a single sitting in like an hour or two or just shuffle through it and understand uh, how there's regulatory capture, big money involved. And then, of course, the classic story of industries wanting to keep the status quo on an environmental exposure that is now demonstrated harmful to some degree and for some people more than other and they want the status quo they want to delay things because business is incredibly good and they make in the trillions now the telecom industry and so that's that's really the the long-winded version of of how i started in this work and then the last four years have been focused on a course on for practitioners more lately my course for lay people on how to minimize these fields at home and i've been just collaborating doing conferences and you know the interest in people who do let's say biohacking or functional medicine has been increasing so that's something that i find very encouraging is people are starting to get it whereas when i started back in 2015 and 16 uh, most people weren't I think it's great that you wrote the book because it, it helps people become aware of what's going on. And you said the number a little while ago, and I want you to repeat it again to this question, which I think you already answered it. But how much exposure has EMFs increased since the 1950s? Yeah, the 1950s, it's a quintillion times. How could we even fathom that number? Might be the 1930s, but who cares? What, what do we have as far as radio frequency exposure in 1900s? we had space radio frequency that comes from space, right? It's funny because some of the, the, the skeptics say, well, we've always been exposed to that radiation, right? And, and then they get into these arguments that, oh, a banana emits radiation and blah, 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 and we're exposed from gamma rays from, yes, we are exposed to natural frequencies. The difference in exposure is tremendous. A quintillion is an 18, 
zeros after a one. So it's a billion billions. That's a huge number for something that we know, for example, that natural Earth frequencies, if we include sunlight, sunlight frequencies, including the color spectrum, the intensity, will trigger things in the human body. Uh, some of these exposures are non-ionizing radiation. So it means it will not uh, break your DNA directly, will not uh, shatter bonds between molecules. But we know that some of the spectrum, for example, the blue spectrum, can uh, stimulate you, can make you happy, uh, can uh, do photobiomodulation. So we know that this is non-ionizing radiation in the very high frequencies. It's in the few hundreds of gigahertz as a, uh, if you convert it as frequency versus wavelength, because usually light will be talked in a matter of a few hundred nanometers, that's the wavelength, but the frequency equivalent is in the hundreds of gigahertz. Compare that to a cell phone, a cell phone could be one to two gigahertz. Your Wi-Fi could go from two gigahertz to uh, maybe now they're looking at 60 gigahertz for like the Y gig or the new Wi-Fi standard that might happen. But anyhow, that's even the, like the 5G, fifth generation stuff that is rolling out and a lot of people are talking about that. That's like 60, maybe 90 gigahertz. So it's in, in some lower frequencies, but the exposure intensity is tremendously higher than background ancestral levels. And scientists have argued, you know, what is the safe level of EMF that human beings or all biology should be exposed to? The reality is that we don't know. And we don't even have a control group now that is unexposed to study the difference. And some scientists have, have uh, like Holly Johansson from Sweden, uh, ex-Karolinska Institute, that is one of the most esteemed uh, scientific universities in in the world because of the number of Nobel laureates. So he, he's, he's published 650 plus papers in his career. I don't even know how it found, he found the time. That's like, that's a lot every year. So he's, he's a genius in his field. And he, and he said, you know, we should consider that anything above ancestral levels is potentially harmful. And that's the truth. So we don't know exactly the quantification. And this is what is maddening because for some agents, like uh, lead in water or lead in air or other uh, pesticides, we, we're starting to quantify like what is the dose where we're starting to see certain symptoms or DNA breaks or I don't know, like hormonal changes in rats. And for EMS, we don't exactly have that. And some scientists have tried to do the work but it's not looking good because when they conclude their work, for example, the bioinitiative group, 36 scientists and academics that kind of got together very frustrated with the scientific status quo and kind of the agencies not doing the work. Okay, we're going to do it for them. So we're going to uh, meet for a few years in reality and kind of collaborate on this. And what they found is, well, we should probably be exposed to levels that are honestly orders of magnitude lower than what, what I'm exposed to at the moment here, because they basically based their, their assessment of the, the available science. And they said, let's look at the studies that are with the lowest intensity possible and see where the effects stop. And then let's, let's create a buffer of safety. And it's not looking good because it means our use of technology at the moment is, is I don't know, 10,000 times too high, maybe a million times too high. So it's kind of tricky because at the same time, the entire society is moving towards more connectivity. 
and then the science is moving towards more danger. So there will be a breaking point, and I think we're reaching it at the moment with the big lawsuits that are that are that are coming. But this is really what's happening at the moment is is very bizarre, where you still have a large fraction of even intellectuals who are convinced that this stuff has no impact whatsoever. But even the same people would argue that these glasses do something. They block certain frequencies of blue. I'm wearing these kind of daylight glasses now, and you probably have filter on, on mine, yours. Mine even the same. Yep. They're not prescription. They're so blue light. Yeah. Why do we do that? Well, the increasing science when it comes to macular degeneration from certain light spectrum from screens. And it has to do with the intensity of screen. It has to do with how artificial our screen is. We also know that if the screen is flickering, there could be detrimental effect to your cognition, for example. And we know so it's eye health and it's also circadian rhythm. Well, circadian rhythm wasn't a thing 20 years ago, wasn't that much of a thing to be precise. So more and more nobles now are being attributed because of uh, like the, the clock genes and, and new findings of how critical it is for the human body to read the, the outside environment and kind of know what time it is. So that way you're able to, your entire biology kind of relies on that natural environment. And the argument when it comes to EMS could be that that non-ionizing radiation in the form of Wi-Fi or cell phones and other things like that can also be read by different parts of your body and can disrupt circadian rhythm or other aspects of your biology. And of course, this is non-ionizing radiation, just like blue light, but somehow people think that since you don't see it, it has no effect. But we do know that certain invisible light rays, like if I talk about invisible red spectrum, I go in far infrared, we don't argue that there's no effect. We know there's an effect. And if we uh, talk about UVs, then we get into the ionizing spectrum. But of course, there's an effect and it's invisible. So there's this, this bizarre, I think, I don't know, cognitive bias that people don't want to know about EMS, to be quite honest. And, and we're in love with our technology. And it's the 21st century junk food reinvented, I think. It's very difficult because I love technology too. I mean, it's how I'm able to interview you right now. You're in Canada, I'm in Miami. Yeah. And because of the blessing of the internet, we were able to have these conversations, but it's also a curse, especially if you do it the wrong way. And we're going we're gonna to talk about some practical ways that we could start making some changes. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years and then i came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil i immediately found an amazing product called pureform pureform is a plant-based omega and the cool thing about pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize these essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden, your fat-burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden, your cells produce energy, so you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. 
So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I used to wear those Apple AirPod Bluetooth headsets. Uh, I wore it for like a year. Always when I worked out, it was very convenient for me. And then I started coming across your research. And then Dr. Pampa did an experiment with an EMF meter wearing the AirPods and what it showed on the meter. And I'm like, okay, I got to stop wearing this. So I went back to the wired headsets and it's inconvenient. But once you understand the damaging effects, you'll make that better decision. So if you could just explain a little bit more, you already explained very well what's happening at the cellular level, but what what exactly is happening at the cellular level? Why is this so damaging? Why can this be so damaging to us? Yeah, there's a few theories still, and it's it's really evolving. Certain scientists would give you different theories about what is happening. It's probably oxidative stress. And the more we understand now chronic disease, the more we link it with chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation, well, what is it? It's oxidative stress. Uh, so certain molecules in particular, one of them being uh, peroxynitrite, that is a nitrogen species that there's a 2007 paper for uh, geeks out there who have way too much time on their hand uh, by Paul Patcher, P-A-L Patcher, P-A-C-H-E-R. And that's uh, free available online. And that's basically the guidebook, the one paper you want to read about peroxynitrite and disease. So they basically link peroxynitrite and the uncontrolled exposure to peroxynitrite to every chronic disease out there. So it's, it's, I, we could say it's part of mitochondrial health because peroxynitrite is able, it's the only oxidative species that is able to travel from one cell to another and get into the nucleus because of how small it is compared to other oxidative species such as there's uh, there's a reactive oxygen species, ROS, for example, and there's a few others. And of course, I'm not a cell biologist, so I will butcher this. But the gist of it is that, and one of the researchers to look at uh, who understands the biophysics is Dr. Martin Paul, P-A-L-L. He's from Washington, Washington State University. And his assessment of the science at the moment is that the EMFs that we're exposed to probably act on the VG on the cells VGCCs, the voltage gated calcium channels, the L type in particular, because there's various types of VGCCs, and there's also other ionic channels that might be impacted. And the long story short is that uh, there's an overflow of calcium in the cell, and downstream of that is the production of peroxynitrite. The long-term effects of that could be reduced mitochondrial energy production, it could be a reduced melatonin production or so hormonal effect. Uh, it could also be the uh, chronic inflammation that we're seeing. So he's talking about the 
basically the triggering of an over an overreaction uh, to certain inflammation markers like uh, interleukin-6 or different things. And when you start looking at chronic disease and what researchers are finding is, well, when you have elevated IL-6 or IL-10, uh, it means that you're more prone to Alzheimer. And in the end, it all comes down to why the heck are we so inflamed? And it's various things. It could be food allergens, uh, chronic stressors, mental stress, uh, possibly. It could be uh, addiction or too much caffeine or alcohol or pollution, viruses. So it's probably, EMS is probably part of all these stressors that overflow our stress bucket, if you want a very simplistic analogy for it, which I think is at least partially valid because in the end, people who are already impacted by mold or maybe already uh, sensitive to chemicals are more prone to feeling the effects of EMS and being in that symptomatic zone where you can identify that, wait a minute, I work in front of a computer on Wi-Fi and I get brain fog and that's me. At the moment, it's gotten a little bit better with as I started troubleshooting my health and I've been spending, I mean, 12 years since I first started that blog in 2009 troubleshooting my health, but just lately I'm able to work without brain fog. And that's good as an author because it's very frustrating when your brain is not online. But I've realized that the moment I start being very close to a phone, maybe two minutes my, my wife should uh, is on her phone, 4G and doing something on Instagram. And if I'm too close, like a, a foot from the phone, I start getting a little bit buzzed as if I, I took just one glass or two glasses of wine. And it's not a good feeling when first you haven't actually drank that wine, but it, it doesn't come with the pleasure. It, it just comes with the confusion. So it, there's a mental effect that you can detect. So for some people, it is what will show up like these quick effects. For some other people, it will be the long-term effects. And the best science we have is about cell phones and brain cancer because it's kind of a the simplistic, scientific, very convenient link that people want. One agent causes one disease and we can find causation and we can sue in court and it has been demonstrated. So cigarette smoke, of course, causes lung cancer and that's why they're bad. But in reality, they can probably impact every body system because you're putting poison in your body, right? But having this causation is very convenient for, for science. So anyhow, now at the moment, EMS, radio frequency radiation, that cell phones, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, including the AirPods that you talked about, it is been classified or it was classified a 2B carcinogen at WHO, uh, the IR, uh, International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is a branch of WHO or affiliated, I think. And they said in 2011, it's a class 2B carcinogen. Now, the interesting part is, is, is not the 2B because that's the lowest classification. And a lot of skeptics, again, say, oh, that's bull****. You know, there's pickled veggies in that category. And it turns out, I think for historical reasons, it was put on the list and it's, it's not valid anymore. So even that is a little bit ridiculous. What I'm interested at is where the science is going. So researchers who were on that committee for the decision to classify radiofrequency as a class 2B carcinogen back in 2011, several of them that are still active and independent in their <laughs> financing and line of thinking, and they don't have to follow some corporate line or, or to stay in line, they say, well, if we take the same 
criteria that we used in 2011, but look at the new studies that have come out since the last 10 years of research, basically, it should be reclassified as a class 2A or a class 1 carcinogen. If it's a class 1 carcinogen, it means that when you're putting these AirPods, you're exposing yourself to asbestos, cigarette smoke. And of course, how many hours of AirPods can be compared to smoking? Well, we don't know. I mean, who, we didn't do these studies. It's just an overarching principle that when you have a class one carcinogen in society, we need information campaign. We need people to start reducing their exposure. Just like it was the case with asbestos. Do you have asbestos in your walls? Call this number. We have to clean it up because we know that your family is going to be affected if you start scraping the walls or doing works and then everyone's coughing and then you realize, oh my God, damn, I developed lung cancer because of that. And we know now that it was very dangerous and we started rolling out that technology that's used that asbestos was very cheap and very convenient. It was just something that researchers found and I don't the entire, uh, I studied asbestos history a little bit, but it was just for convenience reason. And an industry that found something that was just a material that it was nearly miraculous and such a blessing for an industry looking for new materials to put in various applications. But it turns out it was a carcinogen. So it's just very inconvenient. But, you know, it would change everything if it's reclassified. So the reality at the moment is that we're in the process of a possible uh, reclassification and the IARC already identified that radiofrequency uh, radiation should be looked at a second time and I don't know when it's going to happen. So I, I think they're in process of a reclassification, but we don't know when it's going to happen. So maybe 2022, maybe 2024, and maybe 2054. I don't know. But in the meantime, it really comes down now to the philosophy of human health and, and policy. And there's something called the precautionary principle, and it's been passed around, it's been repeated again and again with the pandemic and various things. Oh, precautionary principle. Yes, but in reality, it's a good principle that can be abused where we can be too cautious and nearly paranoiac and even do more harm than good because we, we kind of fear every agent out there. However, when we have a class 2B carcinogen that is maybe becoming a class 1, the same thing to do if we were completely independent off top and, and not tied to a big industry with a lot of money would be to reduce exposure. It means minimizing exposure on an individual basis. It means starting to wire things up and maybe occasionally using a cell phone, but starting to say to people, you know, you should create distance between that phone and your head because there are many uh, head uh, area cancer or even neck area cancer like thyroid cancer or parotid gland or glioblastoma or acoustic neuromas that are, um, generally speaking, uh, non-cancerous tumors that can lead to complications, including death uh, or um, other things that are horrible. Anyway, you don't want that happening. Well, we should start putting distance between these devices in our head. So. It's been my message all along, and, and some people are more extreme in their messaging where they would say, well, we need to never use a cell phone again. Or, And I, I respect that position. I don't agree with it. I, and I think at the moment, the message should be to try to minimize. And I put EMS in the same bucket as environmental toxins of all kind. Should you be exposed to more pesticides? Well, likely not. You know, there's glyphosate in every 
every freaking water stream and and in the air it's, yep. yeah it's everywhere so can you say well i'm gonna avoid all glyphosate good luck i mean even if you're in the middle of nowhere in a tent in in uh greenland or the antarctica you'll probably get exposed now to some environmental toxins just because of how everything is related and globally when it comes to uh, air pollution and and water pollution so it's ubiquitous and we should minimize exposure to try to mitigate the risks and if you're wearing airpods and I could say AirPods, I could say any brand, it's not to bash on Apple, any Bluetooth thing in your ear, you're essentially exposing yourself a little bit deeper than a phone inside the ear for hours every day. And some people almost wear them 24 yeah. seven. It's like, it's I, just, I see the, I see these UPS drivers, FedEx drivers wearing it all day long. Yes. And then some people seem to wear it, but they don't listen to anything. So it's kind of, Oh, it's there. It's just sitting there. Or maybe I'm waiting. Like I'm, I'm going to have it there if I receive a call. And sometimes I open my music, sometimes I don't, but it's still emitting, it's emitting something. So you're exposing yourself to what I consider very useless and dangerous risks for long-term and then short-term, who knows, but it's it's not good. So it can be avoided easily. If you wire your computer at home, you can avoid a lot of Wi-Fi exposure. And then on a policy standpoint for society, if we move away the towers from citizens' home, so if we don't have a tower right on people's home, right next to their bedroom, we just maximize their chances of being healthy and in the meantime, we can figure out what the safety levels are, but it doesn't look like living right next to a tower where you can see it, almost touch it with the 5G rollout because it's so close to your bedroom. It's not a smart thing to do. And in several countries, these levels of exposures would be banned. And that's a, just reminds me of an article that I wrote a while back where levels of exposure in radio frequency had been deemed unsafe in a park in Italy, if I recall correctly. And the mayor said, the mayor of that small city in Italy said, we need to close this park because someone took readings and they're too high. But the levels of exposure in Italy are orders of magnitude lower or of maximum exposure, I must say, to be, to be correct, are, are orders of magnitude lower than in the States or Canada where I live. So <laughs> in the meantime, so you had basically Italians and the mayor saying this is super dangerous and citizens saying we need to close that park before we're able to kind of uh, mitigate that tower or reduce the levels. And in the meantime, people were exposed to multiple more times that during the 5G rollout or just exposed to everyday occurrences in the US and Canada. So that double standard just shows you that Science has never settled and toxicology and our understanding of what is safe and what is dangerous is never set in stone. A good example that came across my research several years back is how many chemicals are banned in the EU and still used very commonly here in North America. And that's a lot. So it tells you, wait a minute, are the Europeans paranoiac or stupid or overly zealous about their requirements for safety or are they smarter and ahead of the curve when it comes to what chemicals are dangerous. And it's bizarre to me, it's still, that's because the world is highly complex. Why is it that there's not a scientific consensus that, okay, well, you know what, we're going to ban it from the EU, but we're going to roll it out 
worldwide, every nation, and ensure that no one is producing that chemical or that combo of chemical worldwide, maybe in the next 10 to 15 years. And I don't know why we're not doing that, but the world is more complex than that, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. And you know what? It, there's a lot of money behind in the telecom industry. You said it. it's a billion dollar industry, multi-billion dollar industry. So people, will, you know, there's a lot of vested interest in this information not really getting out there. If you're anything like me, you probably spend some money each month on your supplements. But what if you're still tired and you just don't feel 100% well? Well, there could be a deficiency. What if there was a way to know if you were actually absorbing your supplementation or not absorbing and maybe you're taking too much of something? Well, what I'm bringing you today is a chance to accurately test all of that. In this case, I'm talking about upgraded formulas, upgraded hair test kit and consultation. And once you uncover these hidden deficiencies, you could get rid of these symptoms you might be experiencing that might be affecting your thyroid, adrenals, or much more. Upgraded Formulas is a very cool company. I interviewed Barton Scott, who is the founder and chemical engineer who helps craft all their supplements, and they have this really cool upgraded mineral deficiency analysis. So say goodbye to blood and urine tests, which typically indicate short-term results. Hair is the best identifier, and you could get that hair from your head, armpit area, or even pubic area, and you'll receive a consultation with a member of Upgraded Formulas to help discuss your results. And it's very simple. Collect your hair sample, send it in, and get your results fast. We've worked out an exclusive deal, KetoCamp podcast listeners, to receive 10% off your order. Head to UpgradedFormulas.com, use the coupon code BEN10 at checkout to get your hair mineral kit and any other supplements that you could find on their website. That is UpgradedFormulas.com. Use the coupon code BEN10. To your point about the cancer, I uh, have a colleague, Dr. Erin Keneally. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she's an oncologist I've over there. I've heard of her, yeah. Yeah, she's in California. I actually interviewed her last year, and she shared that when she opened up her practice back in the 1980s, it was rare for her to have a case uh, of a glioblastoma, which is the brain cancer you mentioned. She said it was very uncommon, and she did see it. She saw it in uh, executive males, so businessmen who used to have those brick phones, right? She says now, uh, fast forward to 2021, she says she sees it almost on a weekly basis, but not just in men with those you know, phones, but in 20-year-olds. 23-year-olds, 25-year-olds, and it's because the common theme is that a lot of these people are holding their phones to their head. So that's a, a big wake-up call. And I know that's not a scientific study, but that's a, you know, a well-respected person giving you some anecdotal evidence. I also want to share, share this. I have an aura ring. I think you have one, yeah. one as well, right? Yeah. So I recently moved about a month ago, actually 35 days ago or so, and I live in the same building, but I moved away from the street side where my bedroom was to the water side. So it's, it's farther from the street. And my uh, previous apartment, I was close to the power lines, which was really close to my bedroom. It was probably, I don't know, mm, like 30 feet away from the bedroom. Now I'm probably like 100 feet away. And I noticed something, you know, checking my readiness score, heart rate variability, sleep scores. Everything has improved by about 10 points on average since I moved to the new environment. So what do you think happened there? Uh, well, being close to power lines is exposing yourself to another type of field that is the AC 60 hertz magnetic field, possibly also electric field. But in particular, you have high levels of magnetic field within 
I, I would say, geez, 100, 100 feet from the power lines could start being safe, but you have to test it. But very close to power lines is not good. And in fact, that's also a class 2B carcinogen, the magnetic fields emitted by power lines. And there's the strongest science we have, a bit unsurprisingly, but it's been uh, really in the news lately by uh, a group uh, called the Dukunli group. Uh, if you want to look look it up, it's uh, D-E-K-U-N-L-I, Dukunli. And that group has um, authored several studies on the fact that you increase magnetic fields by just a few milligauss, and that's the unit of measurement for magnetic fields uh, that's very commonly used in scientific research. And you get a vast increase, I think it's a doubling of miscarriage. And the researchers think that when the embryo is being formed, magnetic fields from the outside environment can really disrupt the body's ability to possibly the stem cells could have a harder time forming that embryo because that's possibly the stem cell is trying to find its how, what cell will it become in the end through magnetic fields and other things? And the differentiation process, I'm, I'm not very familiar with it, but that could be hindered or let's say there's a kind of bodily confusion that is there. So what's been happening for you is, is possibly just an overall stress that is always present in the air uh, around you. When you're in a magnetic field, it's like living in a big bubble of radiation, if you will, whereas wireless could be waves or pulsations, like your Wi-Fi router would sound like a, like a rifle if you listen to it on an EMF meter that converts the signal into sound. Uh, so kind of and that could be like the impact on the body, could be like stress in a very pulsated way, whereas the magnetic field, they would pulsate at 60 hertz, but in, in a sense, it's very static around the power lines. And in households, it could also be a problem, these magnetic fields, when you have a large motor right next to your head. A silly example that I've heard multiple times, and that is really, it just makes you wonder how many things are we missing in our environment that could be uh, impacting our health. And you'll see what I mean in a second is, People who, who have their sleeping location, like right behind me, I have my, my pillow there. And imagine that there's a neighbor and the fridge, a neighbor's fridge is right there, the other side of the wall, maybe a foot from the head. Well, the fridge has a very large motor and around that motor is kind of a two, three feet bubble of magnetic fields. So in reality, you could have the equivalent exposure to power lines but from a fridge. And that's kind of silly to think about, but these are the type of exposure that we talk about in the course that can be easily avoided. You get an EMF meter, you read, and then you realize, oh my God, I need to move my bed or tell my neighbor to move the fridge. I don't know what's gonna be easier, but you know, these exposures, uh, another example could be uh, you have, let's say air filtration, a very powerful thing, and you put it too close to your pillow, or for some people it's an alarm clock that is uh, a bit old school, and maybe sometimes has wiring problems in, in the unit itself and produces a large bubble around it. And all these fields are not something our bodies are accustomed to. So if only this radiation impacts your sleep 10%, imagine the long-term effects. It's tremendous. And imagine the impacts on many things that I'm sure you're addressing in, in the scope of uh, your podcast and your work. Like imagine your blood sugar regulation it will be impacted because I know for a fact, if I stay up past 11 and maybe eat 
I don't know, what, what do I like these days? Coconut cream-based ice cream, like way too much of it. The next morning, I feel famished. Like normally I don't eat before 1, 2 p.m. And now I'm like starving at 8 a.m. So my blood sugar is all over the place. So if you have lack of sleep, your blood sugar regulation goes down the drain. So who knows how much is impacting us? And that's the thing. That's the main message is if you change environments, you go camping or you change homes or you change apartment and you notice a big shift in your sleep. Some people, for example, go camping in the middle of nowhere. They report incredible dreams or dream recall for the first time in years. It's very common. It shows you that something is dramatically different in your environment. It might be that you're not under stress, right? Uh, it's a vacation. You're feeling good and eating uh, cleaner. I don't know exactly. Sometimes it's the opposite, but a lot of people feel like they have better sleep. So now ask yourself, what has changed? And Sometimes the EMF environment is at play. Sometimes it's the blue light, sometimes it's the stress or the air quality as well. So a lot of uh, environmental factors are changing, but it's a good thing to do. And it's in fact called uh, kind of taking an EMF vacation. That's an official official slash unofficial thing that certain doctors who know about EMS are telling their patients to do because they want to diagnose is it something in, in my patient's environment that is sick or is my patient sick? And oftentimes the environment is a huge contributor. So by the process of elimination of EMS or reduction is essential to make it real for yourself. Just like the elimination or reduction of junk food is often necessary for people to fully grasp how bad their diet was making them feel. Right, it's what happened for me. I must say, 2006 to 2009, kind of in my uni days, kind of starting to understand that eating cleaner and not uh, drinking as much milk and like all these things that I was told were healthy were really not serving me. And when I started changing my diet, all of a sudden I don't have pain anymore. I sleep better. I don't have back pain, and 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 I start recuperating from my workouts more rapidly. And I feel my brain is clearer. And I'm like, well, which one of these foods was problematic? And it's probably just the ensemble. It, it was like my my overall sugar consumption, gluten, and a lot of things that were just putting my body in the bad spot. So the same thing is true with EMS, where you want to reduce EMS and eliminate sources as much as you can. And then usually when you do a few of these steps, you'll see a difference. But for the average lay person, I'd say the vast majority of the cohort at the moment still doesn't realize that it's impacting them on a, an everyday basis. Yeah, well said. And you have a summit coming up and you also have a, an EMF course called the Electro Pollution Fix, which we'll drop links to that in the podcast notes. But I have a couple questions. You mentioned you don't know until you test, right? You could have a refrigerator or somebody's Wi-Fi router right next to your bed. So what, what are the best ways to test? There's a few meters out there. You know, there's the meters that uh, on Amazon will cost, I don't know, 50 bucks. I don't recommend those uh, at all. And what, what you want is a meter that is able to test several things. There's wireless um, that could also be called microwave radiation or radio frequency radiation. So that's the Wi-Fi, cell phones, and, and Bluetooth. And sometimes it's very useful to have a meter like that to be able to find sources that you don't expect might be emitting radiation. And I have a few examples on my YouTube channel where I go in a hotel room and realize that there's high levels of exposure on the pillow. 
And I started eliminating sources, you know, the cordless phone that is a classically in, in a hotel room setup. I eliminate that. I, I hide it in the, in the bathroom because turns out it was on battery pack and it keeps emitting that radiation. So it got me very frustrated. So I put it in the, in the bath, I think. I'm like, okay, you guys are going to be there for the night, at least very far from my bed. And then I realized it's still high on the, on the, on the pillow. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I start dismantling that bed, but it's a king bed. And I mean, I'm a small guy, I'm fairly strong, but it was something like the, the entire mattress was like, I don't know, a hundred pounds to be honest. And I start dismantling that thing and underneath the bed frame. And of course I replaced everything, by the way, not to get problems. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't even recall what's the, what's the brand. It was in uh, my, my trip to Austin, Texas. And there was a Wi-Fi router underneath the pillow basically one to two feet from the pillow next to the wall. And that's just a convenient place where they could hide the wires. It was every, like, it was clean. You didn't have like wires everywhere, kind of looking very unprofessional. And it was a high end hotel, but imagine what it's doing to your sleep. So it's just a frustrating thing. If you don't have a meter, you don't realize these exposures. So when you travel, it's very useful. And at home, you will also realize that, for example, several things that you think are not emitting, like uh, an alarm clock could be emitting wireless because it has a Bluetooth option in it. And you might say, well, you know, I'm not connecting my phone on the Bluetooth thingy, so how come it's emitting? Well, it's looking for a phone. And it will be, it will keep looking and keep looking and each time it's a pulse of Bluetooth. So if you have it, sometimes the unfortunate problem is that you're stuck with something that emits wireless and you cannot turn off the function. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, but a meter tells you that. So this is the first function is wireless. The second function that's the most important is magnetic fields. And magnetic fields would help you test how far from a power line is the intelligent distance or the safe quote unquote distance. And normally if you have more than one milligauss inside your home overall, normally it's a problem. And that's a, an overall guideline for people who are sensitive It's well below that, but if you have more than one, you're a little bit in trouble when it comes to your long-term health. Normally, we would want to see 0.5 or lower, but more achievable is one. So, for example, if you have your bedroom, you could go over your pillow, over your sleeping location and look at the meter and say, well, oh, cool, it's 0.7 or maybe if you're lucky, 0.2 and you're fine. If you find that it's 10 right next to your pillow, now you might start putting two and two together and say, wow, this is a very like unsafe and, and stressful sleeping location. And then you might be able to find the source, or at least it gives you ammunition to go to a building biologist or EMF mitigation specialist who these types of engineers have professional grade meters will be able to help you figure out what the heck is happening. So is it the outside power lines that are contributing to that magnetic field exposure or is it something else? Or is it something in your home or even your house wiring might be doing it if it's miswired. And in that case, there will be the help. Uh, you would require the help of an electrician. So it's a bit, it can get a bit technical uh, it plays with you need an le electrician sometimes to troubleshoot things or an EMF mitigation specialist. But just by yourself, at least you can identify that certain places are safer in your home or less stressful. If you're at your office, you could take readings at head level and say, is this office on the low side or is it on the high side? And then you can decide to take some mitigation steps. So 
these two principal fields are really the ones that usually we recommend testing for. There's also electric fields, and that's normally tested via uh, body voltage. So in other words, how many volts of power are coursing through your body right now? And a lot of people are kind of in disbelief when I tell them that, but when I'm sitting at this computer, I probably have two volts running through my body at all times because our normal household wiring is unshielded. So it means that it's plastic cable and that the electric field from a cable emanates six to eight feet out of the wall. So the electricity doesn't stay in the wall. I've always thought in the past that it stays in the wall. It doesn't. So you, you have a small electric field. It will not give you an electric shock. It is below the level of perception. However, there's good arguments that, again, these are levels of electricity that we've never been exposed to. And normally speaking, uh, or very commonly seen, is when people reduce their electric field exposure and body voltage, they start sleeping better, they have less stress, and those who are extremely sensitive feel extremely better. So the electric field component is interesting on a meter, but it's not as precise and very technical. But basically, the first two fields, wireless and magnetic fields, are what you're looking for. And at the moment, I recommend two different meters. There's the Enviro RD10, and it's on my website, themfguy.com. And that one is around $130, I think, with Sometimes I have coupon codes, 140. So it's small and it's pocket size, extremely small, very practical. I've used it worldwide when I travel and it won't give you very precise readings, but it's an EMF detector, if you will. And the second one is called the ESI24. That's the one I recommend in the scope of my latest course, Electropollution Fix. And this one is about 300 bucks and it will give you more precise readings and it gives you an auditory also signal for wireless so you can approach a meter to wireless source and hear it it will help you kind of find source more easily and the quantification is much better but it's a steep investment for some people so if you want to the, the very simplest beginner entry product it would be the, the Enviro RD10. If not, the ESI24 is to be considered. And then there's a vast array of other meters that are valid as well. But uh, yeah, it, it could take a few hours to talk about those. But just to keep things simple, it's, it's these two that I recommend at the moment. So if we go to your website, we can find both of those, the emfguy.com? I should probably place the ESI24 on there. <laughs> I actually haven't updated my product recommendations like two years. So that's a, that's a problem. I want to get that one. The ESI24, where, where can I get that one? Yeah, you can look at shieldedhealing.com. I'm going to send my colleague Brian some traffic. He's my co-teacher on my course. So it's a, it's a co-creation, 100%. Shieldedhealing.com for the ESI24. I'm going to have a link on my website. I'll, I'll take note. In fact, should add it on there. People are looking for my top meter recommendations, kind of obvious, but I just forgot to add it in the product recommendation. But the RD10 is there. It's sold by radmeters.com. That's a cool name, if you ask me. But And radmeters is from Israel, but they ship worldwide and uh, for very, very, very cheap. It's a great company. I know the owner and they give also great uh, service. So it's I've never had problems with radmeters as well. So that's also a good resource. Okay, and I know we're running out of time, but um, I have a question about the 0.5. Uh, well, you said over one milligauss begins to be a problem. Where can I find some research on that specifically? So these numbers are based on the building biology assessment. 
The building biology guidelines are based on natural background levels and especially uh, authorities or um, different academic efforts like the bioinitiative report. So the building biology movement was founded in Germany and they emit recommendations and guidelines. So that's based on that specifically where what they found in the thousands and thousands of assessment to be the kind of safe level or more realistically achievable levels. Because if you have household wiring, so if you live in a house in modern society, uh, unless you're off the grid and don't have any electricity, which in, that, in which case you would have nearly zero milligauss, right? If you have wiring, you will likely be exposed to up to 0.5. So that their recommendation is based on what is the lowest uh, level that is realistically achievable and then, of course, with the principle, the uh, Alara principle, uh, as low as reasonably achievable, that is being used for nuclear radiation and other ionizing exposures, such as X-rays, should be applied. So it means that if you can go lower, go lower. If an exposure has zero benefit in your life, you should aim to eliminate it. So that's just to keep in mind that lower is better, but what is realistically achievable might be around the 0.5 mark. Mm, so helpful. That's really, really cool. Last question is this. Have you ever tested the EMFs inside of a Tesla? Um, Tesla, surprisingly, I've heard lately that some Tesla models, and I don't have the entire story. I'm, uh, it's, it's really rough to dive into technicalities of cars because I don't see independent bodies uh, or building biologists kind of spending all their time and resources testing cars. Some cars have great levels of exposure or, or I must say low levels of exposure when it comes to Tesla and, and possibly other models have higher levels of exposure. In electric cars, the stupidest thing I've seen to just come back to the, <laughs> the subtitle of my book is having a battery pack under your butt as you're driving. So that's a placement that is very poor. I would avoid having too many electronics and especially the battery pack because think of the battery pack as the back of the fridge that I talked about. It will be a large magnetic field under your butt. So your reproductive organs, even your gut, even your entire person could be in that magnetic field as you drive. If you're using your car on a very regular basis, for example, it's your work and you're an Uber driver, kind of driving 12 hours a day, it could be highly problematic. If you're using your car sparingly, you shouldn't overstress about it, except if you're extremely sensitive and you feel you enter your car and you just feel buzzed. I mean, of course, there's even safety hazards associated with electrohypersensitivity in those situations. But Tesla could be clean, and I've heard good things about the fact that they're starting to shield some emissions like the dashboard, but I don't have more details. I wish I had. It's hard at the moment to see what car is safer for electro-hypersensitives, it looks like cars from the 90s to early 2000s might be safer because there's fewer electronics. But again, sometimes the magnetic fields are fairly high. So it's kind of tricky. What I do in the car, if I had to purchase a car, for sure I would avoid any car that has a 4G LTE hotspot in it. Because normally my experience renting cars about six to 10 times a year just with my family because I'm, I'm not a car owner. Usually I rent at Avis here locally in Montreal and these hotspots cannot be turned off. And I've tried, I've looked in the menu and 
maybe you can go to your car manufacturer and argue for it and have it unplugged, but then does it void the warranty? I'm not too sure. So avoid those because there's basically a Wi-Fi router in your face as you drive by. So that's silly and people already have two, two or more phones in, in the average car as they drive. So why do you need an extra hotspot in there? It's just silly. The Bluetooth option should be able to be turned off. So normally speaking, most cars still have that option, but some models don't and it's, it's rough. So I would test the car and ask the manufacturer, just play with the settings and see if Bluetooth can be turned off. And you put a meter there and you see that the ambient levels in the car will drop tremendously. So if you're not using the Bluetooth, but it's still on, the antenna will keep emitting and keep emitting. So again, that's just needless exposure that you should be avoiding. So that's my two, two criteria. And then when it comes to electric cars, hybrid, I would consider it, but I hope that manufacturers will start shielding more and more. And I think it's going there. Even the military at the moment is seeing health impacts of magnetic fields and wireless in the dashboard of fighter pilots planes. There's even one study in particular, epidemiological study, I think it might be Dr. Anthony Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R, who is a very esteemed epidemiology, one of the best in the world when it comes to brain cancer uh, and other types of cancer, if I'm not mistaken. And he's, he's looked at occupational exposures, including, if I'm not mistaken, in the military. And he concludes that there's a vast amount of evidence that reinforces his assessment that it's a class one carcinogen, especially in people who have exposure in for very long time period at very high exposures, such as military personnel. So that's just something where I think awareness is raising. And when the military are on it, it means that healthy very combat ready people are already getting impacts. And if it's, we're talking about the cognitive ability of fighter pilots, very quickly they realize that they score lower on tests or things like that. So if it's dangerous for them, it's dangerous for us, trust me, because I, I'm probably not combat ready. <laughs> They're probably in better shape, better health. So it's not what works for the military uh, should be much, much, much lower for pregnant women and unborn fetuses and, and people with uh, pre-existing conditions and elderly. So it just shows you that, you know, things are moving fast and that uh, hopefully we're going to have these technologies that can protect us. And it shows you, right? And I guess the good part of this, and maybe ending on a hopeful note, it shows you that it's possible to shield these emissions. Right, you just have to do it. You have to maybe Tesla has to invest eight hundred fifty-seven dollars in in their engineering and and have something on the panel to ensure that the magnetic field doesn't go through and and so be it. But the problem at the moment is the problem is still basically not unrecognized as as um kind of putting our heads in the sand kind of mode at the moment. So. No one's talking about it. Elon Musk himself, I have a video on that, one of my latest YouTube videos, said on the Joe Rogan podcast, there's no effect. He said, if you put a helmet with dozens of phones, a helmet here and dozens of phones taped to your crush, that's literally what he said, there's no effect. All day, every day, your entire life. So he's either lying about it because his business would be uh, hurt his entire SpaceX program would likely be shut down. Also, he would lose a few billions there. 
or is clueless and i don't know which is which people argue on my on my youtube channel that he's he probably he's probably lying to his seat and things like that i don't know to be honest i don't get into speculation and things like that i know that in the tech space the uh, idea that this stuff is perfectly safe is very convenient and at the moment this is the paradigm that still rules so hopefully it's going to change but all it takes is for people to start demanding for these healthier technologies and we're going to see shielded cars we're going to see uh safer wi-fi we're going to see lower emission towers we're going to see cell phones with the technologies that have been developed and patented by nokia in the 80s and 90s by the way to shield the user from emissions but patents that were put aside on a shelf it's to be noted this is all available to the public so when i have this iphone or other phone could it be a thousand a million fold safer in 10 to 20 years it could so that's a good thing it's just that we're in very we're in a bad spot because the problem is not acknowledged so the sooner we can force at the moment is going to have to take that force the industry to recognize the problem and come up with uh, solutions to mitigate a known and recognized environmental toxic toxicity problem the sooner we can start coming up with the solution and in the meantime it unfortunately as as it always does it looks the public is kept in the dark and when informed has the responsibility to kind of bear this weight and 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 take care of the problem themselves and that's just Again, very sad. Amen. Amen. And I don't think Elon Musk is clueless. He doesn't seem like a clueless guy. So that means no, just exactly. Like... Well, that's what people told me. So yeah, uh, <laughs> no, you're doing an amazing job getting the message out there. It's it's very important. And you talk about like an Uber driver who's driving around with this with this potentially a battery pack underneath the seat. Imagine that same Uber driver with the Apple AirPods for 12 hours and uh, for breeze air fresheners. I mean, it's like the perfect storm. So your course is going to cover a lot of what we just spoke about, but so much more. Uh, if you could just share real quick what the course is going to, in general, what does it outline? And then where can they go sign up for it? Sure. So the course is called electropollutionfix.com. And that's a co-creation with uh, Shielded Healing, Brian Hoyer, my colleague at uh, Shielded Healing. So basically, the course is everything you want to know about EMS and how to reduce them at home. So we go through every type of EMF we talked about, the wireless, magnetic fields, electric fields, and there's also, we talk about light, because again, that's another type of EMF that more people are interested in nowadays, but how can you mitigate it? We talk about blue blockers, we talk about screens, we talk about light bulbs. There's a lot to be said there. And we also talk about dirty electricity, which is another aspect we didn't talk about in the scope of this interview. And then for each type, we tell you about the free action steps you can take, turn off your Wi-Fi at night, create distance between your cell phone and your head as you talk, so habit-based. And then we talk about the more advanced. Uh, you can put your Wi-Fi on a timer, $10. You can put your Wi-Fi router in a wave cage, which will dampen the signal, uh, maybe 30 bucks. So we go through each solution that is available to you, depending on your budget, depending on what you have in your home. So it's a very customized solution. The course uh, retails at the moment $250 US, but sometimes it's on rebate. Uh, it's going to be a little bit lower than that uh, with the summit and everything. And so electropollutionfix.com is a link. And for the summit, it's called EMF Hazards, 
I'm very excited for this project. Uh, it's the first time I do a summit. Uh, and I know there's a lot of summits out there. There's been a few good EMF summits and I applaud the effort to get a word out there. What I wanted to do a little bit differently is shorter interviews. So most interviews are short, obviously 20 to 30 minutes. Some go a bit longer, but I tried to make it very concise and, and very focused on one topic. So I try to do things a bit differently. It's going to run for four days, September 30th, 2021 to October 3rd. And if you're listening to this later, you can still purchase the recordings. It's always uh, an option. So I'm very excited for this. And, and part of the summit, I must say, I'm honored to have to gotten the chance to interview Robert F. Kennedy Jr. just this very afternoon. And it was uh, he talked about the regulatory capture at the FCC, and uh, it was a very sobering conversation, a little bit daunting, but uh, a message of hope because uh, he's been fighting Monsanto and DuPont and these giants and winning. So now he's really tackling also the big telecoms and, and bringing lawsuits. Uh, there are 70 lawsuits in uh, the Washington circuits when it comes to cell phones and brain tumors, 70 at the moment. And it's, it's, it's a number that is quickly rising. And there's international lawyers and uh, different groups that I'm now connected with that are bringing this to the courts around the world and they're starting to win. So expect in the next 10 years to see a lot of lawsuits being won and it's going to wake up the public. So in the meantime, don't wait 10 years, start protecting yourself now. If you can. <laughs> <laughs> Well said, Nick. I'm going to put all of the resources that you mentioned in the podcast notes. So go check that out. Sign up for the course. I'm going to be, I'm going to sign up for the course. I'm going to watch the summit as well. I want to acknowledge you for your tremendous research and getting the awareness out on what EMFs are doing. I really appreciate it. Can't wait to see you at a conference, hopefully soon. And I wanted to say just thank you for joining me today and educating my community, Nick. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode with Nick Pinot. Go check out the links down below in the podcast notes for his upcoming summit. And then you can learn about his course. You could go buy his book. All things could be found in the podcast notes down below. Share this episode with a friend, with a family member, with somebody you know who's getting hit by EMFs on a daily basis. This can make a big difference from them because when we know better, we could do better. And a lot of people don't know this information. So please copy the link and paste it into a text message, post it on your social media. Let's get this conversation out there into the world. If you got any value from this conversation, please leave a rating and review on Keto Camp Podcast on Apple Podcast, and that will be super helpful. A reminder, our seven-day Keto Kickstart Challenge is coming up. Get signed up for absolutely free by going to ketocampchallenge.com or visit the link in the podcast notes down below. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. 
This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.